0: Electric cars, space travel, hoverboards. We bask in sci-fi imaginings of the future. But have you ever wondered what surgery will look like in a 100 years time? Hi, I'm your host Yusuf and today we'll be exploring the future of surgery together. Robotic surgery isn't as new as you might think.
1: A $3 million robot has become the weapon of choice in the fight against the most common cancer in men. Which some are calling a mechanical revolution for medicine. So the surgeons can sit and practice robotic surgery outside the operating room.
0: Well, maybe you don't want to tell those kids to put away those video games after all. It turns out the kids could be honing skills to become a doctor. Brisbane surgeons have created medical history by using a robot to perform brain surgery. The first robot to assist in surgery was known as Arthrobot. Arthrobot.
1: Yeah. Hold flat. Hold flat. Used
0: in Vancouver in 1985. This robot was trusted to reposition the patient's lower limb on voice command in orthopaedics.
1: It's computer-aided surgery where a robot will take the information that you plug into it from x-rays and previous CTs and what have you, and it will tell you exactly where you are above a patient's back in real time. So it says, right, you want to pop a screw in in a safe place and go through the pedicle without causing harm. This is where you need to be. So it will guide you to where it wants you to go.
0: That's Dr. Mohammed Awad, consultant neurosurgeon at the Royal Melbourne and Peter McCallum Cancer Centre. He's a leader and global educator in complex spinal surgery, computer and ultrasound guided surgery and complex pain surgeries.
1: The robotic stuff that I do is spine. It's all spine at the moment. There is cranial applications for it, but for what we use it for, and certainly what I use it for, um, it's all spinal
0: stuff. But don't worry. Your next surgery won't be performed by robots whilst your surgeon is in the corner sipping a latte. These robots are designed to assist surgeons in completing procedures without fatigue and greater precision. The surgeon is still very much in control.
1: I, I've, been, I've, had that, I've had that question a few times, and I basically tell them the way it is. I say, you know, actually I'm doing the surgery. The robot just is just a guide, and, and what it does is guide me to put the instruments I'm going to put into in a much safer place. And it's proven. We have data to prove that that it's going to make the operation safer. But ultimately, I'm the one doing the surgery and I'm the one responsible.
0: However, the future of robotic surgery is still pretty unknown, with the major barrier being sheer cost of these huge machines. The da Vinci robot gave surgeons an incredible view of the operating window, seeing things that they'd never seen before, performing surgeries that they thought weren't possible. The major drawback? One of these robots cost two million US dollars just to purchase, let alone the cost to set it up, the cost of each individual surgery, the cost to train surgeons, and the many parts and maintenance along the way. With such a hefty price tag, understandably comes lofty expectations. Hospital administrators and surgeons expect phenomenal, flawless results compared to other types of surgery. Unfortunately, the robots just aren't there yet. For example, a systematic review of nine non-randomized observational studies of 7,200 patients found that robotic-assisted gastrectomies had similar outcomes to laparoscopic gastrectomy, but the robotic surgery, of course, was much, much more expensive. In the spinal surgery world, similar limitations exist, and currently, the evidence only really points towards pedicle screw placements for robotic
1: surgery. So the, the thing we use, I mean, to put it bluntly, the thing we use robotic, um, robotics for in spinal surgery is placing of a pedicle screw. That's its real indication. That's what it does.
0: Dr. Wadigan.
1: It can do for various other things like helping with biopsies and helping place. know uh, an interbody cage but really 95% or 99% of the time you're using it to place the pedicle screw the reason that's important is because historically placing a pedicle screw has been um, uh, you know there's lots of inaccuracies with that and so if you place a pedicle screw five or seven millimeters inferior to where it should go, you're now going through the frame where there's a nerve root, yep. you can cause the patient a lot of harm. If you're going a, you know, a centimeter more medial, you're now going through the central canal and you can really cause the patient a lot of harm. So the idea of the robot is it guides you to be right in the center of the pedicle so that the screw goes in the right place, minimizing the harm to the patient. That's really what it does.
0: Is there any other place in neurosurgery that you think of that robots aren't used? But that same very millimetre precision would be useful with with, with the robotics.
1: Absolutely, and in fact, like I can say in parts of the world they're already using the robots for this incredible neurosurgery. So, for example, a biopsy of a brain lesion that's deep in the brain, that's small, you know, that needs to be really precise, you know, it needs to be targeted, and so they're using robotics for that at the moment. Placing of leads for deep brain stimulation for things like Parkinson's; those leads need to be in a you know a millimetre accurate kind of position otherwise, uh, it's not going to get the desired effect. So they're using it for those as well. So there's lots of um, uh, indications where, yes, it would be useful in cranial neurosurgery. Um, and like I say, those applications are already in use.
0: Also training a surgeon is kind of hard the first time round, let alone every single time a new robot hits the market. So should surgeons only practice with robots or should they just learn the old fashioned way?
1: You know, these things get updated every few years, and so if I'm paying a million dollars as a hospital for a robot, and then three years down the line there's another one that's a lot more, you know, a lot better, and a lot safer, and can do more things. Mm. I've got to now fork out another 1.5 or two million because, of course, these things get more expensive as they get better. And then what am I going to do with the old one, etc.? There's lots of factors taking place.
0: Yeah. Definitely, and, and what about the human factor of constantly needing to update your own skill set of learning how to That's work big with these? Uh, yeah.
1: That we're worried about at the moment. You know, if you if you're coming in as my trainee, uh, my junior registrar learning has to do spinal surgery, and I'm forever doing robotic surgery, and you become amazing at the robot. But the moment that robot doesn't work for one day or, you know, somebody's tripped over it and, and it's fallen and smashed itself on the floor, and you now need to put some screws in the old fashioned way. Can you do that? Can you do it safely? Can you do it well? Um, and, you know, I'm fortunate that I was taught the old fashioned way before this happened and I did a lot of the old fashioned surgeries. So in fact, just the other day, I used the robot to put um, some screws in and then, were some dramas and so we had to stop using the robot and then I put the rest of the screws in the old-fashioned way and the scans were fine so that's all going yeah. really well but the, the, the fact is I could do that and I was comfortable to do that and the worry is that for the future um, if people have been taught to use aids all the time will you be able to perform an old-fashioned operation if that time comes mm. without having your aid nearby.
0: Do you have any any insight into how to strike their balance?
1: I think everybody should be taught to do old fashioned surgery in the first instance and then you can learn to use your aids. The same way that you have to go to school and learn 2 plus 2 the old fashioned way and then you've got your calculator out thereafter should be the same for surgery.
0: I know we've had this whole deep dive on robotic surgery, but it's not the only innovation happening in the world of surgery. From 3d printing of organs to artificial intelligence things are changing rapidly and that means for those of us practicing medicine in the future it might look a whole lot like an episode at a star trek
1: um, and then with the ultrasound stuff that's cranial stuff Yep. predominantly again 95% cranial and the idea is that it's navigated ultrasound so it's not just ultrasound but it's navigated ultrasound and what it does is update real-time imaging when you're resecting a your brain tumor, so that you can see residual tumor. You can make sure the cavity is nice and clear, You can make sure there's no deep bleeding. You can make sure you haven't damaged a blood vessel, or you can see blood vessels before you damage them. Um, so it's it's navigated ultrasound for the aid of uh, tumor resection in the brain.
0: So just just on that, that sounds sounds brilliant. Um, and very very useful for yourself to gain that real-time feedback is this used anywhere else in the body in terms of surgeries or only a, a neurosurgery thing
1: lots of people use ultrasound um, yeah. like liver surgeons will use ultrasound for uh, liver resections I believe um, you know cardiothoracics obviously will use it in various other uh, urologists but the way we use it is different we use it in term, we use it as a navigation tool So we can use it in real-time 2D just as an ultrasound like the other people do. But what we do is we integrate it with a navigation console. So in in neurosurgery over the last 20 to 30 years, the revolution has been uh, the um, addition of uh, navigation. So what that means is that I can take an MRI scan of your brain or a CT scan of your brain, plug it into a computer, and then I can match your surface of your brain to that computer, and now I've got a real-time understanding of what's happening through your skull, so I know exactly where to aim for that brain tissue. So it's sat now for your brain. Wow, yeah. No but if you think about that, I'm now navigating, when I'm operating on your brain, I'm navigating to an image that was taken yesterday, two yeah. hours ago, whatever. So the moment I start resetting that tumor, of course the, the image is not updated, it's just giving me where I am in, in time and space, based on that old image. What we then do is then get an ultrasound that's navigated, so it has a marker on it. And as you take a 3D acquisition of the ultrasound, it gives you a 3D image of the tumour, or residual tumour, if you're doing it halfway through the case, or at the end, it will show you that you've taken the whole tumour. And it will update that image over and above the MRI scan that you've got at the beginning. So it will update the roadmap, as it were, as you're going through the case. And now I've got live images, as many as I want, every time i run the ultrasound, it can be live images of what's going on, so I know I've taken that tumor
0: out. I know it's easy to get lost in the fantasy of all these innovations, but I think it's important that we stop, pause, and recognize our privilege for being able to have these fanciful discussions. As Professor Bracard Dasgupta, Professor of Surgery at King's College London nicely puts it, the robot is an unnecessary luxury in the developing world.
1: What's interesting is you will find that the toys that we use, I call them toys, but of course they're aids. The surgical aids that we use in theatre are really only available to those hospitals that can afford them. You take the majority of hospitals in third world countries especially, they don't have these aids. So they are all taught to do things the old fashioned way. Um, and quite rightfully so. Um, AIDS for them would be great because it would minimise um, complications for them um, and complications in most countries are fraught with a lot of danger because a complication in a third world country could ultimately mean death for a patient. Mm. We have a complication here, we have so much advanced medicine that we can get around things and we can heal people and you know we can get people better and rehab and what have you mistakes will happen that's the nature of surgery but we can get through most things Uh, whereas in a third world country a mistake could ultimately mean death Mm -hmm. and so having an aid in those countries i think is really useful and there there are uh, advocates out there that um, you know supply these poor countries and poor hospitals with philanthropy money um, to buy these aids and supply them with these aids and i think that will be a great thing for the future is that if we can keep supplying poor hospitals with aids like for example, the robot that we no longer need yep. after three years because we bought a new one, that should maybe be given
0: to a hospital that can make good use of it. Exciting times, and just thinking, where will medicine be by the time I'm looking to retire? Job. <laughs> yeah, probably choose <laughs> a different career. Um, oh, that, that was absolutely brilliant, Dr. Awad. Thank you so much for for coming and, and having a time out with us. Um, our final question is: if you could talk to You know mohammed as a medical student what would you say to mohammed back then it's
1: a good question again what would i say i would say i wouldn't say anything i'm actually quite happy with how things have progressed i'm happy with where i am i'm grateful for where i am i'm always humbled by where i am and i would just say keep going yeah and that's sometimes the thing that we all need to hear as medical students. When times feel tough, when you feel as though that consultant mm-hmm. job is many, many years away, you know, and I remember feeling that as a medical student thinking, oh God, when am I going to become the surgeon I want to be? And I see these registrars operating by themselves and consultants operating, and I go, oh, I want to be that person. I would just say, hold fire. Just let mm-hmm. things take their natural course. You will get there eventually, and you want to get there with skill. And you know, with the right skills so that you're doing right by your patient.
0: Rushing through is not the right way. Thank you so much for everything. That last bit, that last nugget, but also the, the past uh, moments together. Really, really enjoyed it, and hopefully now we have a friend uh, at the at the time out. Might um, have to get you back and and think about that global sustainability in, in robotics plan. Thank you so much for coming on.